0: me can you hear me on the phone I do. I've got you coming out of every orifice <laughs> I'm really not you're breaking off quite badly hello and welcome to the lock-in where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be
1: the pub for some reason this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish oh right where were we at? I have two.
0: Hello, I'm locked in this time with Michael Palin, late of Monty Python, late of Around the World in 80 Days, late of Pole to Pole, late of Himalaya, late of the Northwest Passage, but not late here at one of his locals, the Haverstock Tavern in Hampstead where he's having a, he's having a beer. Have you got another trip in you, do you think?
1: Oh yes. Where do you want to well, go? mentally I have. I dream of going, traveling again. Um, I, well, there are two things. I wouldn't mind going back to some of the places I've been to. Everyone thinks you've traveled everywhere in the world. We've been to some of these countries for half a day or two days, you know.
0: Quite long enough
1: in some of them, isn't it? Um, no, no, <laughs> no. no. It's not enough in any of them. There's always, the longer you stay, it might be uncomfortable, it might be rather nasty, it might be rather... But something will come up which you will you will never forget. But, but you're, you're 76, aren't you? I'm well... It's far too old to go travelling. No, it's the time to start, I think. Uh, I mean, really, it, it's it's so well, rejuvenating for a start. Travel, I find, you're just seeing different bits and... and Reacting, being forced to react in different ways, you forget that you're 76, which I think is quite useful sometimes.
0: Well, look, you've written this book about HMS Erebus, which came to a very tragic end in the Northwest Passage. When you think about Sir John Franklin, who was in charge of that expedition, one of the problems was that he was too old for it, wasn't he? And he died at 61.
1: Yes, yes. Well, 59, I don't know what the average age in. 1850, or whenever he died, was. But the average age for a male was probably about 60, and he was 59. And a lot of people said, well, that's why he shouldn't have led the expedition. Um, I love that
0: story, though, don't you? And the story is so romantic. And his widow organising all those expeditions to go and retrieve them or rescue them.
1: It's It's all interlinked, and also what I enjoyed about researching Erebus was that the Antarctic... Journey is, is very little known about and it was the most extraordinary success four years down in the Antarctic Going into the unknown places people have been never been before and they they were based in Hobart for, in Tasmania And that's where where he was um, The governor of the island and Lady Jane Franklin was there And they came back. It didn't work out. He didn't enjoy being governed. He wasn't very good at it. He came back and there was uh, quite a sort of battle uh, over his time there and how he'd used it and how badly he'd used it and the people from the... The home, uh, colonial office in London said he should never have done it. So he, had, he had, she felt he had a reputation which had been destroyed and had to be built up again. So she was the one who said he may be 59, but he can lead this great uh, epic expedition.
0: And in the end, it was she, wasn't it, who got that memorial built in Waterloo Place. Yes. And there's a wonderful story of her looking down from the first floor of the Athenaeum on the unveiling of the, of the thing. And actually, it's all false. It claims they discovered the Northwest Passage. We don't know they did. At
1: no, all. no, no, no. It's, it's, it's highly technical, sort of uh, that they the people who might have survived to the last and haven't been discovered would have would have seen the Northwest Passage, the bit where they go through. But it was, yeah. I mean, the, the thing was that I think she organized so many search parties after he died. I mean, there were 36 of, sh- of which she organized about sort of 20 or 25 of them. She just wouldn't give up. I think probably a bit guilty that she sent him on this trip anyway. Um, and yes, and then she, she built that, that um, she got that memorial financed, and in one in Westminster Abbey with a poem by Tennyson. She got all her mates to sort of chip in. She was a great networker. And a really interesting woman, Lady Jane, Lady Jane Franklin, a very modern woman, no uh, messing about from blokes. She, she pushed them all around. It was called the she had an office in London with her da- um, adopted daughter, or was it cousin? Anyway, um, and it became known as the Battery because it, people kept getting terrible sort of letters and telegrams uh, from Lady Jane saying, Come on, come up with the money, we're a new boat, we need a new ship. You didn't think, though, when you
0: went, for example, to North Korea, you didn't think, God, I've had enough of this.
1: No, no, I don't think in that way. I feel I haven't had enough of this. Really? <laughs> yes, I mean, North Korea was fascinating to me. I thought, now, fascinating because I want to, I always want to know what's behind the story, what the reality is when you actually go there and stand there, whether it's North Korea or Machu Picchu or. Mount Athos or something like that, you know, it's it's never the same as the photos, it's never the same as the guidebooks, when you're actually there and you react to it, that's that's what interests me, especially because you don't react to it, it's not always a very nice day, the rain may be pissing down, you might have had terrible diarrhea the night before, but you're there, you're in this place and you suddenly, it, it becomes a part of you in a way which it never does from reading or, or seeing it. So. By that token, I could keep going around the world for ages and ages.
0: The Brits like to mythologize themselves as being inveterate explorers.
1: Is there something
0: special about the British in this sort of experience?
1: Well, maritime nation, maps, geography, lots of the empire. So many people, you know, sailed across the world to run, run the colonies and manned various places around the world, uh, design railways in South America and all that. I mean, it's, if you read, certainly in Victorian times, the amount of Brits that were out there in these various countries uh, running their businesses and, and making some money out of it and all that, well, it was extraordinary.
0: But geography Absolutely. is such a strange thing to be a standard bearer for, isn't it? colouring in, as it was known as at university. Yes. Theresa May's degree. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's it's a a difficult word because it does sound rather dry, I admit, but it is, on the other hand, to know geographies, to know something about all sorts of things that are interesting to you, whether it's illnesses or whether it's why surfing is good in Newquay rather than somewhere else, you know, I mean, it just... What geography covers, to me, is a huge area of stuff. It's become
0: rather fashionable, hasn't it?
1: Well, speaking as someone who was once president of the Royal Geographical Society, I wish it were more fashionable, but it, it's not, it's not died on its feet, as people thought it might do. And, yeah, people travel now much more easily than I was growing up. But that's the problem, uh, isn't it? There's far too many people travelling. Yeah, yeah. But probably in some places there
0: are. Go to Machu Picchu, and you can't see—you can't see anything, but yeah. tourists.
1: But how do you work out who should go and who shouldn't go? That's well, the problem. Well, you always
0: think you should go.
1: I agree. <laughs> I, I would I'd certainly advise people, you know, not to take these massive cruise ships, which because I don't think they see what they think they're going to see, and they're actually in many cases destroying what they're going to see. Um, because you've got somewhere like Dubrovnik, I remember that it's a rather beautiful centre of Dubrovnik. You've probably been there. And when a cruise ship comes in, there are three three thousand people in the main street, and that does seem to be crazy. And I would imagine that people would see that as being crazy, and it's, and travel agents would see that as being crazy. But you know, people, but what do you do about it? Do. I, have, I really don't know. No, do Build you? a wall, yeah, maybe. How do you get, how do you get s- Trump in as head of <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you can't so it's a natural thing to want to see
1: the world I know I know I know it's a very it's a very difficult thing to to work out and I think you just have to make your own decision about how you want to see the world this will be a, influenced by people you might see on television or by travel agents or other people have gone and some people want to travel without any exposure to the countries they've been to they stay in air conditioning and um, they only travel for sort of a few hours to the market, and then they come back. Nobody wanders around, uh, getting lost in a place. And I think getting lost in a place is actually one of the joys of travelling, uh, or the joys of being anywhere. Uh, it's not being programmed all the time. But they are. That's the way these tours are. They're heavily programmed, and I just feel that people aren't really seeing what they would like to see. And what would you like to see? Well. I'd like to see anywhere, really, somewhere fairly, you know, where where there are people whom I can sort of talk to. Somewhere
0: Somewhere English-speaking.
1: No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've had some fine conversations um, with people who didn't speak the language at all. And it used to frighten me when I thought the prospect of travelling was, you know... I didn't speak any languages, therefore, I'd be completely hopeless, it'd be totally embarrassing. And then you realise that, provided you go with a reasonable attitude, you're prepared to smile and to make a joke or sort of talk about the kids or something universal, then you can have a conversation. I had a wonderful 20-minute conversation with a guy in Tibet who was a yak herder in his yurt, and we just sort of sat there and talked about the children and the, the yurt and his wife doing the, making the butter and all that. And neither of us could speak each other's language, but we became very good friends at the end of it. So I think that's probably the key to it, not speaking the language. (laughs) And you don't let yourself down.
0: I read an interview with you once in which you said that you used to say when people asked you where do you want to
1: go now? You used to say Middlesbrough. I do. But you've been to Middlesbrough. I know, I know. That's what was it like? That's ruined that one. I wouldn't say I saw enough of Middlesbrough to make a complete choice. But you know. It wasn't quite as bad as I thought it might be. Um, That's damning with fake know, praise. It is damning, and and uh, but there you are. That's why I went. You go to learn, um, and we had a very good. I did a show there, and it was wonderful. So I was quite, I was quite pleasantly surprised. But it meant that I could not say Middlesbrough again. Just the sound of the name that worked. Um, so I, the other day I did an interview, and someone said, "Where do you?" where haven't you been that you want to go? And I said, Barrow-in-Furnace. This is where actually quite here? an interesting well, place. Barrow-in-Furnace, there have been enormous number of offers for me to go to Barrow-in-Furnace now, unlike and you Middlesbrough. You Well, I've been offered you know, to be the mayor, or sort of go there and have a hall named after me or something. Do you know it well? Uh, not
0: well, but I mean I know enough about it. Oh, what's it like? Well, they used to build nuclear submarines there. Mm-hmm. There's a great engineering history. Oh, right, okay, Vickers... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, I love that one. Vickers used to build submarines, <laughs> you know, and choir boys helped. Yeah. Um, so, it's, it's so dramatic, is it? And sort uh, of I, would, I would recommend yeah, Barrow in Furnace is the place for you, Michael. Yeah, okay. Well, I can no longer use the Barrow in Furnace line, then. <laughs> I, will, I will say, I've spoken to Jeremy Paxman, who knows about these things, and he says, go for it. Go for it, Michael.
0: You've, Barrow is for you. You've recently had this with mortality when you have something wrong with your heart that is pretty damn serious but it hasn't taken the enthusiasm or curiosity out of you you're not going to be traipsing around when you're 90 are you that would be really embarrassing the
1: surgeon says on the pack you know (laughs) the guarantee oh this will last another 20 years your heart now um i i don't know i mean i don't mind what it has done is sort of made me Aware that, that um, you know how my body <laughs> works, how it right? keeps going, the pressure you put on the heart, and the fact that you can, as I was, very be fairly close, I suppose, to collapsing at one point, when I suddenly realized, during the middle of filming I couldn't actually move anymore, um, because my heart had virtually stopped. So that was not good. Now I can move again, much better. So it is a sort of rejuvenation. But with the with the feeling that somehow you've been have have been offered a little bit more time. And Do you think of anybody offering
0: it to you, or is it all
1: just an accident of biology? Um, well, that, that's I I, I romanticise it as being offered to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm probably quite fortunate in that I was fairly fit before I had it. And it, you know, it was, it's all worked out quite well, so I now don't feel older, I feel sort of in a way kind of younger and better, just better. And I think the fact that you, you sort of come around from something which could have been life-threatening to find that you're okay again and you can still enjoy life, and actually you can enjoy life more in a less breathless um, way, then that, that just does make you feel that something has been offered.
0: What do you think will happen to you when your heart does stop? Um,
1: <laughs>
0: a, well, obviously you'll question. be dead.
1: Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really know. Um, do you what care? I think. Not particularly, no. You don't think about mortality? Yes, I do, I do. I think about it in terms of other people, of, of friends and family and and people I... I think I, you know, will, will be it's, well, sad to see me go. And so when I'm thinking about it, I think, oh, I don't want to make these people sad. I don't want to make these people unhappy. But when I go, I go. That that's it. And I don't imagine I imagine it rather like I, when I had my operation. They just said we're going to sort of um, take your rib cage apart and uh, put in a couple of clamps. And for four and a half hours, we're going to have a dig around in there and see what needs doing. I know nothing about it at all. I wake up. In oh. operation, wake but without up when waking you were up. Dead. What do you think will
0: happen to you then?
1: Well, I've got written it down, <laughs> I'll be burnt. <laughs> i mean, given my bits to science, um, and that'll be it. You're not at all religious? Yes, I'm a bit religious, yeah. I'm agnostic with doubts. What does that mean? <laughs> it means I just don't want to, Quite not quite prepared. To be a fully subscribed atheist and say, I don't believe in anything. But how can you be an agnostic with doubts? An <coughs>
0: agnostic means that you don't take a
1: position. There is a, there is a, a shred of concern in my mind that um, my, yeah, there is something out there that is what you could call religion. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
0: How were you brought up? Were you brought up as a as a Christian, or?
1: Oh yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I mean, it was, it was rather mainly for social reasons, I think. So, one of those cohesive things in Sheffield to be, to be to go to church on Sunday and my mother to be part of the mothers' union and all that sort of thing. And I went away to school where we sang hymns a lot. So it was a, a lot of it was instilled into me. The Bible story, the hymns, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Do
0: you feel any guilt about abandoning it?
1: N- no. No, not really. No.
0: I always... If people ask me what I believe, I always say I'm an atheist, but I'm an Anglican atheist. Uh, because I kind of believe in the Church of England. You're you, are you an Anglican, aren't you? Clearly.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of interested and indeed quite involved in, in sort of what my father used to call going around and seeing churches. He loved all that. And the architecture and the legacy of churches, I think, is incredibly important. I tend to feel that they are buildings which should be used all the time rather than left only until Sundays, because they're fine buildings and buildings where people used church? to collect. Um, well... There's a church called uh, Blythborough in Suffolk, um, which is rather fine, and also Southwold, which is where my parents retired to. Those are two extraordinary, magnificent churches in very, very small, well, Blythborough's a small village, is a small town, and they just do, they are so much at the center of the, of the town, and both look rather fantastic. But I, you know, there are, there are many churches that I've been uh, quite, quite like. Do you
0: feel anything spiritual in churches or historical? What is it?
1: Well, I suppose it's more sort of historical, but I do find a certain sort of um, calm which the buildings themselves seem to give you. I remember we were in court, a Monty Python versus someone or other, and I was... The chief python witness and it was down near Fleet Street and at lunchtime because I was still being cross-questioned no one can talk to you at all very odd feeling if you've ever been in that situation your friends can't no one can talk to you because you're in the middle of cross examination so what do you do so I go and buy a sandwich somewhere and it all looks pretty grim and I find this little church at Fleet Street which I never knew existed I sat in there for about half an hour and I thought it was just it was the right place to be at that time. No one could get at you. Well, no one would come and look for me there. No one would want to, but I could also myself feel a sense of, of getting it all in balance, you know. Well, this is it. It doesn't matter that someone's shouting questions at you or asking this, that and the other, you know. You, you, you know this is... This is a tiny moment in a life. Whereas being in the church, it gave that feeling of sort of
0: Is that because the city. church has been there so long? These are the great lightning conductors yeah, yeah. to our history, aren't they? Yeah. Local churches.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean that's almost certainly true. Any building that's I mean, Bart's Hospital, where I have my operation that's been there since the twelfth century, though not my ward. But um it's, uh, it, it's a definite feeling. I, I respond to that very much. The, the number of people who have lives that will have been played out there. Especially in churches where sort of people are getting
0: There's a fantastic old church next to the hospital there, isn't there?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you mm-hmm. think there's any point to your life? Well, I don't, I don't think so, really. Is there any ought in life? Is there anything one ought to do in life?
1: Well, that's quite a difficult thing. I would say, well, you you ought to make the most of it. You ought to, you ought to have good friends. You ought to try and be as honest as possible. You ought to try and be um, curious. You, you know, that's important. You ought not to waste it. Mm.
0: I think the only important thing is being kind to people. If you can be kind to them, be kind to them. Ah,
1: you and Jan Morris. Jan Does Morris Jan Morris say that? I didn't know I interviewed know Jan Morris and she said at the very end of the interview, the one thing, Michael, that's really important is that we must be kind. And that was it, you know, she believed that very much. And I don't know whether she had been kind throughout her life. I don't think it was saying, like, be like me. But it's something I, I, I strongly sympathise with. Are you a happy man? Yes. yes you I seem a happy am. man. Yeah. I'm I'm happy, but I'm also, also um, you know, you have your fair share of... Troubles and things that go wrong. Everybody and does, don't yeah. you? You have those, and 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 yet I'm quite lucky because I've always been able to be optimistic. I've never felt, or rarely felt, that uh, life was getting me down to the point that I couldn't manage and couldn't carry on. I, I've uh, I'm lucky that I've just been able to see things in a reasonably positive way. Have you ever suffered from depression? No, no, my sister did, so I know what it's like. Um, uh, No, no, not, not for long.
0: And that's just how the dice fall, isn't it? It's just a question of luck, as to whether you're a cheerful person or a depressive person.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot of things that contribute to it. I mean, I never was in a situation where I was very unhappy when I was young. I never felt, you know, there's a dark side of life which I never want to see again. There the things that didn't didn't enjoy particularly sometimes, but generally speaking, I was happy to be alive on that particular day, and I think I've been happy to be alive on most days of my life. What are the things you really hate? Um, well, I, I hate people who sound as though they're right all the time, and people who seem to have, um, well, you, you know, they just have uh, a lack of—I suppose—lack of empathy. Is, is you don't hate boiled boil down to. You just—you just, you just
0: don't no. I don't care hate them. them. I don't.
1: I can't get on with them very well, really. I find some. you got. If you're going to share something with somebody, you've got to. You've got to feel some sympathy and some empathy there somewhere. So I don't know. I don't hate that. You no, know? I mean, hate. Well, what would it be really? drive very close to me on the motorway and flash their lights, you know, those pathetic things like that. Anyone who drops litter, oh, my God, you know, silly, bourgeois things like that.
0: Litter matters, though. Litter is a great sign of whether you're part of society or not, isn't it? Well, that's quite a sweeping thing, yes. No, and if you drop litter, you're the sort of person who doesn't give a shit about the surroundings they live in. Yeah. And other people have to live
1: in. Yeah, that's true. I, I can't oh, say more. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a litter picker-upper. But yeah. on the other hand, I don't think I'd be brave enough to stop someone who threw some litter out of a it would car window. It depend how
0: big they were, I think, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, well, and, and generally the sort of people who throw stuff out of car windows uh, are not going to see the point of your argument. You say, "Excuse me, do you, yeah, would you take this back? Did you put this in the car? I think this is yours." They wouldn't get the irony, wouldn't get the humour. They just eff off, yeah, and punch you and drive over you with your, over your foot.
0: What would you have done with your life if you had, if it hadn't turned out as as it has turned
1: out? Have you thought about that? I haven't thought about that really, because I don't know how it's turned out. <laughs> it's still turning well, you've out. you've been lucky. I know, but I've always. Uh, Always tried to be as open as possible to new stuff and new things. And I I, I don't sort of see life as got to be this section or that section, and then you've got one more bit to come. It's just as I say, on a daily basis, different things happen. People people you meet people and you learn different things and you'll get different opportunities, you get different breaks and all that, and it's still going on. I quite like that. I think it's sort of just an openness to...
0: You have to been help. lucky though, haven't you? Yeah,
1: I, I have. am. incredibly fortunate life.
0: Were you surprised when you became this... They now call you in the cliché an inveterate traveller after having
1: been oh, a comedian. Oh, worse things than that, yeah, yeah. What do they call you? I'm a national treasure. The nicest, national. the nicest man in England, which you is to very, be very hard. You really don't want to be that. I think that should be a capital offence. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. Um, do I, yeah sorry. What was that?
0: Have you got any recommendations mm. t- as to how you become the nicest man in Britain or the most the national treasure?
1: I don't know. I don't know anybody who's the nicest man. in a national treasure. Uh, keep at it though, Jeremy, I think you're nearly You are a bit you're, of a though, aren't
0: you? <laughs> no, I'm not. I used to be Mr. Nasty. That was good.
1: Yes, yes. Nasty. Mr.
0: Nasty was mm. easy. Yeah.
1: yeah. You yeah. have to do something positive to be Mr. Nasty. I think Mr. Nice, it's a tag people put on you. And I think it's You are Mr. Wet. Nice. Well, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm a very angry cross person about the time. You ask my family. They just think it's you're a nice. grumpy old dad, presumably. Yeah. They? Well, hopefully, a useful dad, though. A very useful dad. They play down the grumpiness, um, but no, I. Um, um, I just, yeah, just. I, I generally sort of. Well, right, I, I'm a conciliator rather than a confronter. I'll say that, in certain terms.
0: You've in many ways got a very unshowbizy kind of life. You've got a very unshowbizy kind of marriage, haven't you?
1: Well, I don't really like showbiz much.
0: You've I... only had one wife.
1: Yes, no, I've only had one wife, but that was nothing to do with not liking showbiz.
0: <laughs> but lots of showbiz people keep on trading them in as if they're old cars. Yes.
1: Now, well, maybe that's why I'm very lucky. I'm very happy, but that's probably me as well. I mean, I.
0: Have you got any suggestions about how to be happy?
1: uh, Well, yes, he used to say, you know, um, I can't remember what I used to say. It was about (laughs) happiness. It was something to do with. I can't remember the word I used. Come on, Paley, pull
0: yourself together. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You see, you are
1: getting old. You can't remember what your advice is. Yeah, no, no, no. It was. It it didn't matter anyway. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah.
0: Do you think it's true that most comics are left-wing?
1: Um, well, they're... they're oh, I don't know. I, I mean, this is the thing, you see. There's a generalisation. I would think probably the comics I like best are usually uh, critical of what's going on, but then, you know, I can... It's not a political bias,
0: though, is it? No,
1: no, it's it's... No, it's not, it's, it's exactly, so I wouldn't say they are particularly left-wing, they're just sort of, uh, the best comedy comes from some sort of conflict. Talking about some lefties, sort of
0: let's talk about the BBC. Are you worried about the BBC?
1: I am worried about the BBC, yes, because I, you know, I believe the BBC to be one of the most important institutions in the country, an institution which, having travelled the world, is usually admired um, wherever I go. But I can see that times are changing now and the BBC is finding it very hard to work in a sort of non-commercial market. It is its own worst um, enemy, isn't it? I think in it, many ways? I think yeah, I mean I think it's 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 changing. It's always changed. I tend to think well, people nowadays say, Oh the BBC it's been very difficult to get a program done because of this that and the other but i mean it was difficult when we did monty python nobody really wanted to do it it was just that at the time the bbc was very very powerful it only had one itv channel as its competitor and could afford to take a risk on six young men who you know who they couldn't understand at all so put on late at night and see what happened i don't think there's the bbc can do that so much anymore now and i think the bbc has to spend a lot of a time now sort of justifying itself and explaining itself and saying why it should be this, why it should be that. And I think it's also, you, you know, it's, it's 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 terribly anxious to sort of please everybody and not offend anybody. I don't think that's very good. The question
0: that it seems to me people like Rupert Murdoch and the rest have got to answer is, would the world be better off without it? And unquestionably the answer to that, in my view, personally, is... No, the world would be much worse off if the BBC didn't exist. Of course it makes lots of mistakes, and it's very irritating in many respects. But...
1: Also, I, I, I feel that the the alternatives now... I mean, it's just that sort of pe- people are being completely conned because you, you you. all right, we're told we have lots of different channels now, lots of different options. All those options cost a bit more money. You know, I've got sort of Sky, and I've got some... Uh, Amazon Prime and one to others, that's about sort of six or seven quid every month. That adds up to more than the BBC for a year. And I, you know, I don't use them all the time. It's this, this wretched idea that somehow freedom means having much more of everything. I don't think that's, I don't think that's the way it is at all. That's wealth. That's, well, yeah, that's confusion. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's right.
0: Well, there you are. That was Michael Palin talking to me in the Haverstock Tavern. Thoroughly nice chap. Next week, we've got a fascinating conversation with Catherine Burble Singh, the inner city head teacher who's earned the enmity of half the educational establishment by daring to insist on such anachronisms as punctuality, discipline, and respect in her thriving Wembley Free School. A natural contrarian, she's a fount of interest. Do tune in for that. Until then, stay safe.